Good morning. Here at Ski the White Shop with Frank Karras, lead snow ranger at the Mount Washington Avalanche Center. Good morning, Frank. How are you doing? Good, Andrew. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, just went out this morning, poked around here at Black Mountain to see all the snow and debris from the storm. It was a full-on full-on blizzard here. I got here yesterday morning and the snow was blowing sideways, caking the trees, and it, it didn't quite stop until uh, I'd say four, four or five o'clock here last night. Yep. Yeah, it was a good one up high, a lot of snow. And we're uh conversation this morning though was um when we take the piston bowl your snow mobile up this morning, make sure we bring a chainsaw. That kind of day we did have some high enough winds that that might be a concern. Certainly continued wind loading today again. Um so we're we're eager to get up there, um, do a little bit of avalanche hunting as we call it, looking for signs of crowns and debris that um, probably occurred last night and may continue um, today with the continued wind loading and the upslope showers we're supposed to get. Yeah, let's talk about, let's look back first and just talk about the weather we've had and the conditions we had leading into this event, what's kind of under this storm layer that we just got. Yeah, so we had, um, you know, good ski conditions um, before the big warm-up. Um, and generally, that warm-up was uh, was um, limited to below um, our prime avalanche terrain. So stuff wasn't that crusty. We're expecting a, a pretty good bonding surface initially with that storm with not many step-down concerns. So most of the avalanche activity would be limited to this amount of snow, which is not an in, you know not an insignificant amount so um we are you know it's mostly the supportable crust basically beneath this at all elevations probably you know ice here at the very lowest elevations some of the outlying glades way to the east in western maine um closer in to you know the presidential range and the wildcat range and, um, you know, bald face, we expect the, um, that crust to be supportable and with a nice amount of snow, um, on it from this storm overnight. Um, yeah, we got into a pretty nice weather pattern last week. I mean, we're looking at Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all great skiing up there. And some of it was very firm, edgeable. I'm yeah. still seeing some pockets of crust out there here and there where yeah. um, the new snow hasn't bonded to, but it's very, like you're saying, it's not much. It's a small percentage. Yeah. Most of that older crust was ripped out by avalanche um, activity over the past couple of weeks. I think that was, we're talking about the February 6th, 7th crust at this point. That was the really, really super slippery, hard, icy surface. Most of that got ripped out. We've talked about that a little bit existing still. In some of the sheltered areas, I found that in Left Gully with a bunch of facets around it too, just deep pools of facets. So, um, you know, that is something to keep on your radar and dig around in. You know, typically those facets get ripped out of our main avalanche paths, but certainly if you're into snow nerd type activities, looking for that in the broccoli forests and some of the places that don't see avalanche activity could be good. Um, a good time and some, you know, worth keeping on your radar. It has produced fastening around 
interfaces has produced big surprising avalanches on occasion, but certainly right now we're just in this new storm snow um, wind loading concern. Yeah, let's talk about this storm that came through. This was, um, I know that the meteorologists were talking foot plus of snow and were eyeing this one for a little while and it came in pretty moist, high, high winds from, you know, winds from the east before, before switching and finishing up. Um, what can, yeah, what, what did you guys observe up there? Well, so those eastern wind loading directions or east, east wind not loading as it, as it turns out, not a lot of loading occurs um, in our prime terrain that faces east due to the fact that, you know, it's blowing directly into those ravines like Gulf Slides, Tox, and Huntington's. Um, we have not yet observed what's happened in the ammo. And that would be curious to see. So Ammonusic Ravines, for those unfamiliar, and, and Oaks Gulf as well, they would have gotten some of that loading um, early on when the snow or when the wind was from the east. At that point, we didn't have a ton of snow on the ground yet. I think it was three or four inches at Hermit Lake by the time that or while that wind was blowing from the east. Um, that being said, you know, three or four inches with loading speeds can definitely change things. So folks who are interested in what's going on in the ammo, I'd be curious to get observations uh, on that today and tomorrow. Um, I'm sure there's folks heading up the cog and maybe starting to poke into Monroe Brook again. Um, I know that area has not been quite filled in yet, um, but maybe this one changed it. Hopefully. I mean, it, yeah, I was up there on Monday, Tuesday. It's very lean. Yeah. Very lean. I mean, Sharks in the water for you, sure. Yeah. You're looking, if you looked up the presidentials if you're looking up clay it's just bony rocks yeah. on one side all the snow on the east side yeah so i don't know yeah it'd be be good to get some eyes on that on that location for sure yeah yeah we had we had some wets um slides reported at lower elevations this week but that stuff's all generally shut off and th those are at lower elevation areas due to that warm-up earlier in the week um so yeah, jumping, jumping forward and back to um, this morning, we got 24 centimeters or nine and a half inches at Hermit Lake out of this at 17% snow. So, you know, think supportable POW, warm POW. Um, and a little bit less, 21 centimeters at Harvard Cabin Snow Plot and 20, I believe, at Grain Ob, though I suspect some of that was um, blown away. They probably got a little bit more, but. All, all, all told, you know, the nine to 10 inch range um, with more in some of the outlying areas. I know you're saying Randolph recorded 15 inches. So, and then Gorham got one inch of, yeah. and uh, there was close to 1.6 inches of snow water equivalent. So that's, you know, liquid equivalent out of this on the summit. So that's quite a bit of rain, you know, that, that would be a more than a soaking rain. And there's some flooding down in the valleys to prove that fact, but don't despair. If you get up to a higher elevation, you'll definitely find um, a good dump of snow. Yeah. 3000 feet seems to be the magic number. Yeah. I don't know if it's every year, but this year for some reason I've just been like, yeah, that's I climb pattern. up and I look at my elevation and, and yeah. it's a, things change. There's a definitive yeah. change. Yep. The switch is flipped at that elevation. I think that's what gave the, um, you know, this storm, like others, this year really has been right on the cusp. That freeze line has been hard for 
meteorologists to nail down. And there's a lot of moving parts in a storm like this. Um, so, you know, I give them some latitude and take, uh, take their, take the forecast with a grain of salt and just be ready for anything in the field. Um, you know, it's, it's a little aggravating. I think that the scientists, meteorologists among them probably roll their eyes at folks at other weather outlets, naming storms. And this one was called winter storm Odell. And like, well, so national weather service is responsible for naming storms and they just name hurricanes. What's all this about? Mm -hmm. That's a weather channel thing that came up just something to make it interesting. And they, they think it's a public safety message. I tend to think it's more of a distraction for folks and they're going to learn something about messaging. I think over time, this was kind of funny winter storm. Odell just turned into a rainstorm. So we'll see if they continue their strategy. Well, it is, it makes it easy. It makes it easier for us to remember when you're talking about, this is the Feb sixth, seventh rain crust. We should yeah. give that rain crust a name. We should. Yeah. It's a proper name. Rain crust squally. Yeah. Rain crust Bob. Uh, yeah. So talk about more. We were just, you know, before this started, we were talking about how the wind and the winds change. We get some wind loading. We're getting upslope. These are all things that I think the general public is aware of, but, um, after these storms pass, it's still ringing out as these systems move over the mountains. So it's, it's pushing out it's, you know, select areas in these microclimates are getting more snow deposited than you'd see in the valleys. Like down here, we're not seeing any new snow, but you'll get over, especially in Crawford Notch, you'll get a lot of this upslope snow. Mm -hmm. And now that paired up with winds. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to have some background noise here. That's, That's fine. Right. But that paired up with winds and we're talking about looking at the wind speeds and how that affects, uh, there's the perfect speeds to build, yeah. build up uh, wind slabs. Yeah. So, you know, what we see um, occurring, and I think this is uh, good for people to know about is, you know, when we hit a hundred miles an hour and above, you can count on certain things. One is the Northern gullies in Huntington ravine are going to be stripped of any snow after a number of hours. Um, that snow is going to get pushed down into lower start zones um, and upper areas um, like the headwall talks are often scoured out as well or pounded down. So real firm, stubborn wind slabs, we would call them, you know, and it's I think it is important to remember that's not it's not a given that it's just completely pounded down to to totally unreactive steel slabs. You know, we had the avalanche uh, several years ago in the upper bit of the Christmas tree, we call it just to the right of Hillman's highway. Um, everywhere else was the low end of moderate. And that day we had a human triggered avalanche, um, right above the Christmas tree kind of run out of Duchess right in between that zone. Um, so that's would consider that like a lower start zone. So useful to remember that during those, hundred mile an hour events, the snow is just pushed further down into the, um, terrain really. So, um, the upper start zones might be all scoured out. You might see Sestrugi at the top above the head wall, or even down to whatever the, you know, new bed surfaces from an ice crust, um, you know, left gullies often pounded down by a Northwest or Northwest hundred mile an hour wind, um, 
it's a firm wind slab generally across the bowl and maybe upper Hillman's, um, but that snow is being deposited somewhere. And, um, you know, mid start zones is what we would refer to those as. So, um, further down into the bowl, you know, is our thick wind slabs, which may or may not have a weak layer under them. And in that one year, I think it was 2014, there was a good sized human triggered avalanche, two to three foot crown, um, where a guy was, um, there was a party of four, I think, above the Christmas tree. They had just exited Hillman's to find, I think, to find better skiing. Um, and one guy skied the slope just skiers left of the feature we call the Christmas tree. So sort of between the edge of the Christmas tree and the run out of Duchess. And he posted up right in the run out, just looking up and um, looking up at the other skiers to follow. And a snowboarder who had been sitting there buckled on his bindings stood up and when he did a crack just shot across the slope um, most of the way towards the slough pile of um, that feature i just think it's called lady in waiting or the, the little shoot just lookers left a duchess and fractured and you know sent a d2 solid d2 avalanche down the slope and uh, that guy just scampered out of the way just in the nick of time it ripped through the trees at the bottom of the slope across Hillman's run out, you know, below the dog leg and then up into the forest. Uh, um, all the debris was, well, not all the debris, good bit of the debris was over the length of the probe. So pretty good sized avalanche, um, you know, after that, that's, a, that was a bit of an outlier, you know, as I mentioned, most of our, um, avalanche paths get hammered down pretty well, but you know, it's kind of a reminder that when we were talking about stubborn wind slabs from high velocity winds, like, it is still triggerable. Um, that feature happens to be a little bit of a concave surface, so that's a strike against it. Um, these lower wind speeds like we're gonna have um, today and tomorrow combined with upslope snow um, can build sensitive wind slabs. You know, it's gonna actively load today. Um, visibility is gonna be hit or miss. Um, it would be a day, you know, where we're just less than 24 hours since natural cycle and wind loading. So that elevates things. Um, you know, today would be pretty rowdy um, to try to get into the terrain. Really just most folks would think it's not worth the risk. Most really good skiers even would think that's not not the day to go poking into the into the bigger terrain. What are the wind speeds? You're talking about wind these ideal are, building wind speeds. Uh, 50 to 70 today. So that's the right speed where you know, these new snow that's falling doesn't get too broken up. So the particles can be um, a little larger. They look more like snowflakes, right? At the higher wind speeds, the particles just get so pummeled either in the air, you know, they like fall as, as rounds already. So that's what packs into these firm, super firm wind slabs. Um, you know, so today we're probably going to have, you know, if we get, especially if we get three inches, it's going to be well elevated, considerable. Um, if we don't get more snow, it's still going to be kind of mid range, like natural avalanche is still possible, still in that possible range when you're seeing snow actively being transported on the ground, you know, from the storm yesterday, which is likely still occurring. Um, 
<clears throat> that's trouble. That's when the natural avalanches happen, even with good visibility. And I've, I've witnessed that myself in the ball. So. Yeah. So you're looking at tomorrow. So it's Friday today, probably hit up the glades or a resort. And then you're looking at this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, really cold. Uh, I haven't looked, I haven't looked at the, I know I'm in the shop. This is my, this is my Achilles heel and wanting to contribute more, but tell me, tell me what we're looking at weather-wise um, for the weekend. So we're looking for more upsloping on Saturday um, and a high of eight degrees on the summit. So pretty brisk, you know, kind of standard winter conditions that day. Clearing on Sunday um, with, um, let's see, it's, it's going to be that high single digits Sunday wind northwest around 45. So fairly reasonable. The wind is going to be um, higher tomorrow. So between, you know, continued loading um, and that 55 to 60, 65 mile an hour wind, like it's going to be a little more of the same, probably more of the moderate avalanche danger. Um, again, I'm sticking my neck out here. We don't like to forecast avalanches more than 24 hours out, but um, you know, if I had to pick getting into avalanche terrain, it would certainly be later rather than sooner. So Sunday would be best. And I think you're spot on, I think poking around in the glades and trying to find those more obscure shots of powder, um, today and tomorrow would be, I'd be on my task list if I was not working. Yeah. It's not some of those. Some of these days just sound punishing up there anyway, regardless yeah. of the avi conditions. Totally. If you just look at the weather on its on its own. And this is it's funny. We went from spring like conditions. I was up there on Monday and Tuesday, and Tuesday was snowing. And I was out I was out there in Jefferson Ravine and it was snowing and I was so hot. Yeah. Un- uncomfortably hot. <clears throat> yeah. So those temps were definitely creeping, creeping up and and now we're back into single digits. Yeah to zero to whatever, zero to five, zero to seven on the summit for highs. Yeah. And that's like, that's normal. If you yeah. forget that, that this winter, I know, with me too. extremely warm January and just February feel, feels warm too. It's like, oh yeah, back to normal. Yeah. There's all these other concerns now with like those temps too. And yeah, like frostbite. Yeah. Yeah. It was full disclosure on Monday. I'd had enough winter. I went to Romney and rock climbed with my shirt off. Oh, it was crazy in February, you know, so I'm getting a reality bath, um, today as well. Well, um, yeah, I just recommend as always, you know, check the bulletin every day cause it's going to be different. Of course, as if you, if you're coming up from anywhere of driving distance and you're just trying to make, make your plans, yeah, have your general plan, but just be able to shift it and be prepared for anything. Yeah, I, mean, I was up there staring at the weather all week, like weekend, and I get up there and thought we had everything dialed for Tuesday. And Tuesday, we were all of a sudden it was snowing and in the clouds, and it was different. We thought there was going to be a high thousand foot cloud ceiling with a broken cloud layer around four thousand feet, and we just that was all over the map until we left, and then we broke through to an undercast, overcast setup, yeah. and you just never know. It's like yeah. the way that the the systems move. Uh, meteorologists are they're really dialed in and even then they still get it. Like they can't nail it perfectly. And we yeah. have all these microclimates throughout the range. Absolutely. So when you're trying to forecast, you're trying to give everyone a general Abbey bulletin and you just know that yeah, that's, it goes the same, same deal. We get weird winds and, and unique winds that are going to load and 
affect places differently. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get good at now casting. And I think a big part of safety, you know, for me, I think about when I'm going on trips or whatever with buddies or skiing here locally with buddies, you know, the main thing is that you just don't want to have any sort of, um, you know, goal fixation, you know, or if you do stay fixed on a goal, your goal should be having a fun day and getting back to the car, like going, you know, this is my one day. I got to get to the top of Hellman's. That's just a bad idea. You know, it, it, it blinds me to, um, what I'm seeing underfoot. And, you know, it's really easy just as humans to start looking for what we want to see. And if what we want to see is good, stable snow with no avalanche concerns, you know, if you steer yourself right, you'll find it until all of a sudden you find out you're badly wrong. So, um, you know, yeah, having leave, a good backup plan, it's just so critical. Yeah. Leave room to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. You know, yeah. I always like set my expectations low and yeah. when they get exceeded, it's like that much yeah. better. Yeah, totally. That's great. Well, we should, we should wrap this up. We want to kind of bring, we want to bring topics each week to this. And this week we were talking about some observations from the weekend about dogs in the backcountry, And this is a touchy one, one that like I feel semi-responsible for at times, but I always preach lessons learned, you know, I'm guilty as anyone else for bringing their dog in the backcountry. Uh, just quickly talk about what you saw. And it's tough, you know, um, as a dog owner myself, like, um, I, I hate leaving my dog at home and I think lots of people do as well, but I'll, I'll just, I'll convey the story first and, and you can decide, but some folks were up skiing They're they're, you know, avid skiers around, they live locally and it was a big group and they're all, they're all great folks and they were out skiing with their dogs. And, um, I think that was, yeah, it was on Sunday. So chalky, um, kind of snow and, they chose to drop into the chute and uh, two dogs behind them in the skin track heading across the head wall. And, you know, that just gets me nervous um, because I've, I've seen too many dogs fall, um, you know, and they made a, the guy made a few turns and the dogs were running behind him ecstatically probably. And then all of a sudden started tumbling and the one dog was somersaulting through the air and a, like full on tomahawk, like starfish kind of thing that basically left almost everyone in the courtyard, like gasping, like, Oh my God, just, it was really sickening to watch and, um, radioed up to see what the other snow rangers were, were seeing. And, um, fortunately the dog was moving around, but pretty clearly hurt. And, um, they assisted the the master, the owner to, to bring the dog down. Um, the dog was walking at that time, but when he got to the courtyard, like he was not really standing straight, you know, just tail between the legs This is an eight year old chocolate lab and, um, eyes were super swollen. And one of the eyes was just running fluid. I don't know exactly what it was. And so, you know, we have a pretty general policy of not rescuing animals because it diverts snow rangers and rescue personnel from, you know, helping people if they get hurt. And it was still a pretty busy day. So we were having to be a little careful with diverting resources, but I, I just couldn't, um, you know, leave that dog like that. So loaded, um, loaded the dog up with the master on the snow machine and took him down and 
they went to the vet and hopefully the dog's fine, but you know, um, it just raised, uh, the question in my mind about, you know, the place of dogs in the backcountry, And I think you probably have some comments on that as well. Andrew, I know Squally's an avid backcountry traveler and, um, you know, I take our avalanche dog, um, certainly up the trails and down the Sherburn, um, super careful as you, you know, um, dogs love to get right up on your tails and, um, sometimes their paws will slip off your ski, <clears throat> ski. And that, that's some of the worst injuries we've seen is actually just in the skin track where the dog's foot slips between the ski and you slide your ski forward. And then the burr that often develops on a ski edge, even like an unsharpened ski edge can be really sharp and lay right into that vulnerable spot. If you think about it, the it's the wrist, it would be the equivalent of you dragging your ski across your own wrist. You know, there's not much protection. There's not much muscle or meat. So it's basically tendons and veins and arteries. And, you know, dogs definitely go to the animal hospital from those injuries. And we're not even talking about downhill skiing yet with dogs. And I, I have a lot of things to say. And I think like any, anytime you bring your dog out there, you're putting your dog at risk. So it's just something to consider is like your dog, you're putting your dog at risk when you're going up to avalanche, especially avalanche terrain. But anytime you're in the backcountry, your dog can be post hauling. Um, if it's running at full speed, it's stressing the joints. It can be anxi anxiety. There's a lot of things to consider. And I, I put squall through the ringer as a pretty much as a puppy figuring this out. I didn't really have a dog mentor. I was like, well, like you're saying, I love bringing my dog with me anywhere. Like, let's go. And a lot of it was in the spring, grippier snow, but I'd be up at, I'd be up in tucks and I'd watch an owner slide and then the dog tomahawk behind the owner. And you're just watching, watching this happen. And I, it's, it makes you cringe and you feel horrible for that dog. The dog didn't need to be there and get these dogs in precarious situations because they can go up. No problem. Most yeah. dogs have no problem going up. It's coming down where they start stressing out and they get themselves into trouble, much like skiers can do the same way. Hillary has been up there when a dog navigated from Hillman's all the way over to shoot. Yeah. No owner. And she skied him down in her arms because no one else would carry yeah, him yeah. and just had to get this dog out of there. And people get up in arms. I know Heather Hansman wrote an article in powder magazine that just set the internet on fire about mm -hmm. dogs should not be in the backcountry as a blanket statement. And it got the discussion going and it brought up a lot of good points. And I I'm guilty where I portray squall as this mountain dog, which he is. And, you know, he spends a lot of time up there, but we found the limits. I know what's good and not good for my dog. And that's, limit him to the Sherby on quiet days. And then mm -hmm. I'll even carry him quite a bit Yeah, where I don't make him run. He always like, I let him lead where he's not sprinting. Yeah, And like, there's all these little caveats about when to take your dog, when not or my dog, when I decide to take him and when I don't take him, I'm here at black mountain quite a bit and get him to work on the way up. And then I carry him on the way down. So he's not stressed out with the yeah. joints or just stressed out about me going too fast and I'll let him run a little bit. But anyways, people see social media and they think, Oh, he's like, Squall is doing the head wall again or something like and right. then you take in midwinter conditions where it's slide slide for life almost for dogs like they're not going to stop they're no. not going to get those little nails in and no their dog their their <laughs> their studded tires only work in one direction right like going uphill yeah like. um so it's, it's a little crazy and like there's i think about like going up the sherby this like early morning one day skinning up and seeing blood trail 
from mm-hmm. a dog. And mm-hmm. you're like, that's bad. Mm-hmm. And you hear yeah. about this stuff and you're like, well, what happened there? It was like a murder scene. And you're like, you know, yeah. dogs bleed a lot. And if you're going to bring your dog out, have a first aid clotting kit for your dog, because like you're saying, dogs are going to get cut. They're going to, it's yeah. just going to happen. Squall, I cut Squall once, but it was a building a backyard jump where he got in the way and I wasn't turning. Like I wasn't yep. turning. I was just going straight. And somehow he managed to get his paw under my ski. Yeah. I banged him up. Vet lived right like down the road and, and he got 10 stitches and was fine. Like no issues, but it can be so much worse than that. And we've all heard stories about dogs getting tendons cut. And yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you're far in remote areas, it's like, that can be bad. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to imagine getting squall and all my gear out from a zone. Yeah. can be like, imagine if you're somewhere where you still have to skin up and out or something. and Or have a large breed or, you know, 70 to 100 pound dog. We've had some of those sort of issues on the forest. You know, dogs just given up at 4,000 feet on Mount Madison. That was one story. Had one of our backcountry patrollers shoulder this dog and carry him all the way down Valley Way, you know. Big mission. and um, But that's a great point, too, is diverting resources from other calls. And I don't know. There's just so many so many points about it where it just makes me think like it's just better not having my if I want to go skiing I'm going to go ski yeah like I I'm not going to bring my dog I'm going to go skiing but if I want to go on a more of a hike or tour with my dog like that's a different I I consider that like a different backcountry travel yeah where I'm almost just walk going out with the purpose of walking my dog but yes you still have to be prepared and yeah and you got to take the effort to train the dog too and that's been a long road, even with our, you know, our avalanche dog, Lily, that's with us up, up there all the time. I had to train her to stay well behind me because as you mentioned, like when they ski beside you, if you turn, they don't, you know, they're trying to run along in the heel position, which is, you know, right next to your left leg. If you make a turn, you're going to hit them. So, or even worse, if they're behind, you can't see them. And you can't and see you're, them. If yeah. you're looking back, you're diverting from what you should be looking at. Right. So I, I trained her to stay you know, 30 feet behind me, but it was really challenging. And, um, it took a while to get her to do that. And, um, if you don't have a lot of skill in dog training and dog handling, um, it, it's just going to be hard for you. And, um, I think the, the thing I, I look at it is, uh, sometimes I have in the past taken her on places she probably shouldn't go because I feel guilty about leaving her at home. The reality is a dog is pretty darn content to lay around, right? So probably the better strategy for me, and I alluded to this in the my rant um, on Wednesday, is, you know, just take the dog for a walk or do some quality time activities with him before you go or at the end of the day. And then it's just, you know, it's not going to be an issue. Um, you know, and side note, too. They're, you know, dogs are supposed to be on a leash in the national forest or under voice command and control. That voice command is tough. You know, if a dog sees a squirrel or another dog, most people can't control their dog that way. And interestingly, we had a a dog kill another dog. Um, It's a few years ago up in the, um, in the Alpine on the Tuckerman Ravine Trail. And, uh, you know, the one dog was on a leash and it was the, the um, a pit bull um, was on a leash and the other dog just wandered too close to it. So that kind of stuff is, uh, is also something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So food for thought, something to think about and something to discuss. Yep. And 
train your dog carefully. Think about what they really need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, dogs only a lot of the times you can get an amazing dog with great temperament, but other dogs, that temperament can't incredibly difficult to break or can't be broken. And you just need to work around that. Yeah. Well, good deal. Thanks, Frank. We're going to end this now so we can edit it, get it up and uh, yeah, have a great weekend. We'll, yeah. t- we'll talk, we'll talk next week. Sounds good. See you out there, Andrew. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot. Yeah. Bye.